Good Monday. Welcome back to the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. I'm your show host, Kyle Lamb. So happy to be with you on this Monday. I decided to bring along a friend, Corey Thompson, co-host of the Scarlet and Great podcast, will join me in a few minutes. We got a lot of things we want to talk about. Is Clemson being overhyped for 2020? We reflect on Ohio State, what we think of the running back situation, defensive backs, defensive line, an overall prospectus for next year, plus what on earth is happening with the basketball team, another ugly loss on Saturday at Penn State. We'll get into that as well. All that coming up in a few minutes. Corey Thompson, co-host of the Scarlet and Gray podcast, joins me today for the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. Locked on Buckeyes, your daily Ohio State football and basketball fix, your daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast on most of your favorite podcasting platforms. Be sure to spread the good word, spread the cheer. Make sure you find any and all Buckeye fans that want to hear about your Buckeyes. Tell them about the show. Spread the good word. Have them find and follow Lock on Buckeyes, Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say, play the Lock on Buckeyes on your smart speakers. Find me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Find the show on Twitter at Locked on Buckeye. Corey and I will be back next as we break down Ohio State in 2020 and that team Clemson, are they being overhyped? Welcome back to Locked on Buckeyes. As I stated before, I am here with my podcasting partner from another network, Corey Thompson, co-host of the Scarlet and Great podcast. Corey, have you washed away your sorrows yet? Are you feeling a little bit better, getting excited about 2020 yet? I don't even have any sorrows. I haven't had any sorrows. I've been documenting it on the podcast that I feel actually very nice and confident coming out of that game. I know a lot of people wanted to win. I wanted to win. But as far as like for the future, honestly, I, feel, I think the future is extremely bright coming out of that game. Yeah, you know, I've been doing a little retrospective on the season, and I still firmly believe this. Look, LSU, they absolutely earned their paycheck. Um, no pun intended. I'm not talking about the OBJ cash. Uh, that's but, why he was paying them. Oh. Yeah, right. It was, uh, uh, fake it was, money. it was, it was a fake loan is what it was. Uh, no, but for real though, LSU played uh, tremendously in the playoff. They earned their championship. Nobody is saying that they aren't a deserving champion, but when you look at this Ohio state team, I, I still say I will take it to my, my deathbed. Criticize me all you want. I know LSU fans, Clemson fans, well, you're a homer, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm being objective. Ohio State was the best team in the country this year. LSU came on strong at the end. I'm not saying that they didn't deserve the championship, but Ohio State was the best team. That's corroborated when you look at S&P Plus. They were number one. FEI, which is you know football efficiency, uh, they were number one. SRS, by college football reference, they finished number one. FPI, even ESPN says they're number one at the end. What does that tell you? Uh, and then, you know, in Sagarin, LSU finished 0.05 ahead of a point, 0.05 of a point ahead of Ohio State. So it's not just some crazy lunatic Ohio State podcaster saying this. It really is backed up. Ohio State had a great season and probably was the best team in the country. I'm not saying that they would have beaten LSU in a one game championship if they played. We don't know what would have happened for sure. But I'm just saying Ohio State, I still I still think that they were the best team this season. You know, Ohio State was in is basically a mirror image of my most of my pro fantasy football teams. They're really strong through the regular season and then just a bunch of players get hurt 
for that final game or two in the playoff, and then I don't make the championship. Uh, we were, you know, you, you give Fields a healthy knee, you give J.K. a healthy ankle, we probably in the title game and probably can win that game. Corey, why is it do I feel like we're starting all over again with this Clemson hype? We spent, you and I, on different shows, spent three weeks previewing Ohio State-Clemson, both looking at analytics separately and kind of coming to the same conclusions because we had so many discussions about this. We we pinpointed and highlighted various areas of weakness for Clemson, and and not necessarily weakness, but but areas that Ohio State could exploit that they were probably better. And when you look at the way the game played out, we were right about many of those areas. of The lines on both sides of the ball for Ohio State were better. That proved to be true. We didn't think that the Clemson receivers were going to have the field day against the defensive backs of Ohio State that they've had in other games. That turned out to be true. Trevor Lawrence combined in the two playoff games through for only 50%. Now, he did hurt Ohio State with his legs a little bit, but they had to run with him with the extra blocker because they could not run traditionally with Travis Etienne. But here we are, after that game played out the way we said it would, we're, we're looking at 2020. We're looking at these rosters. Ohio State is a more talented roster for 2020, yet here we go again, the same spin cycle, the hype cycle has started with Clemson already, and now people are calling them unbeatable and, and everybody playing for second place. It's It never ceases to amaze me. We see this happen time and time again. Yeah, I, I get that Clemson's been a fixture in the national title game for the last few years. Part of its talent, part of its, you know, they basically play about 11 scrimmages, you know, throughout the year until they get there. Uh, I get that they have a very talented quarterback, uh, a very talented running back coming back in Travis Etienne. They got talent for sure, but to act like they have more talent than everybody else, it's kind of like, okay, let's slow our roll a little bit. I mean, we look back at the 2016 when they, you know, bludgeoned Ohio State. Then we look at what they did uh, last year when they bludgeoned Alabama. And we, we kind of get this, I think people get this sense of aura, the sense of invincibility about them because they're constantly there and they constantly have a chance to win. And they're recruit now you look at this year's recruiting class, I think it actually impacts the way people think about how they, they've recruited in the past, which is if this now this year's class, don't don't get me wrong, arguably the best class ever. But the last five or six years they've they haven't recruited any better than any other elite team. I mean, Alabama's gonna be there again next year, probably. Ohio State will be there again next year. And both teams are clearly capable of not only beating, but beating Clemson bad. Uh you know, I yeah, it's just it's always a hype machine. I don't understand. Uh it, it, people don't I mean the people who are paid to do this kind of work don't actually analyze anything you know they have talking points that seemingly brought to them whether it's by their own staff or with a network or whatever and nobody really wants to think critically about these things I mean we were you and I were on Twitter discussing it with Clemson fans and I think ironically we got a few Clemson fans to kind of open their eyes a little bit like wow we do have some question marks going into next season it, it's not it's not open and shut uh because I, I mean you brought it up more, uh, more so than I did. I did. I thought about other players, but you brought up the offensive line, replacing four-fifths of their offensive line. And I had, you know, they try to, whenever I talk to a Clemson fan, I try to write it off as, like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. You you can't just replace four-fifths of your offensive line and, and not at least acknowledge that it's a question mark. Right. You know, they might be fine. Look, they, they might replace four starters on the line and, and they might turn out to be really good. I, we're not saying that they can't or won't but you have to acknowledge when you're replacing 80% of an offensive line coming into a season, 
that's a pretty big question mark. What happens if they turn out to be bad? And I'm not saying that they will. I, I don't think that's the case. I, th- I think they'll still be a good line. But what happens if they turn out to be bad? And, and Travis Etienne goes from eight yards a carry during the regular season to five and a half or six yards a carry. I mean, that's a pretty big difference. And when you're talking about potentially even one or two teams jumping up and being better in the ACC next year, hey, you know, all it takes is one bad loss in a weak conference and suddenly they're susceptible to not making the playoff. This past year, yeah, they ran through the ACC and they might do that next year because it's a weak conference. It gives you better chances of winning all your games. But in Clemson's case, a weak offensive line could mean losing one game. If you lose one game in a weak conference, that could keep you out of the playoff. I'll tell you, I know it'll... Uh, I mean, I know it'll be on the road. If they play North Carolina next year, North Carolina is figuring to have a really good defensive line. Uh, you know, it, there's teams like that. Just a team like that that just up to play them, just end up knocking them off. Because, he, like, he, look, uh, the offensive line this year for Clemson was good, for sure, against really weak competition. And you pointed it out a little bit. Uh, they This offensive line comes up against Ohio State and LSU, and it's clearly not the best offensive line. And they, I mean, uh, uh, look what they have to do to move the ball on teams. They have to go gimmick uh, oriented offense. They, they, their big play ability is diminished. Uh, Etienne can't really get it going on the ground. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, who's only sacked 12 times going into the Ohio State game, gets sacked three times by Ohio State, five, or two times by LSU. All kinds of pressure on him on both games. Uh, I, it, it just, you know, and then you're replacing four fifths of that, and you're, and you're claiming, oh, it'll be fine. No, it won't. You just that's something you have to say. Well, you know, we got to see how what how it transpires. But the thing about it is, uh, Kyle, is you, you you go into it and I just well, I'm sure it'll be fine. They, they, the argument they make is well, you know, they got snaps. It's like well, so did Alabama, so did Ohio State. Their backups got snaps. The people, the question marks that they have. Everybody brings up question marks that uh, every team has. And yes, these other teams do have question marks. But you you just to blatantly ignore the massive question marks at Clemson. I just can't explain how these people who get paid to do this work can come up with these, come up with these opinions and literally just skate by it. Well, look, I, I, I've been maintaining this point all year long, and this is one of the reasons why I said Ohio State was better than Clemson this year. Ohio State has more talent. If, if you don't believe me, go count up the number of four- and five-star recruits signed by both teams the last four years. Ohio State has like 25 more than Clemson does. That's why Ohio State looked like the better team when they played. Sure, it didn't it, it didn't wind up translating into a win, but we all saw it. They were the better team. That doesn't mean that they will be the better team next year, but Ohio State is going into this season with more talent. And when I look pound for pound at position, I think Ohio State has a more proven roster, especially with Sean Wade returning. That helps a lot. Clemson, I love their defensive line for next year. They were young up front. They've got a lot of talent coming in, especially with Brzee and some of those defensive linemen that they signed. I think they're going to be good up front, but their their back seven has a lot of question marks going into next year. Ohio State is a little more proven in those areas. Uh, hey, I'm going to just come right out and say it. Justin Fields is a better college quarterback right now than Trevor Lawrence. I don't care what Trevor Lawrence might be the number one NFL pick in the draft. Right now, Justin Fields is a better quarterback. Ohio State will have a better receiving core next year, the more experienced, better offensive line. Going into the season next year, I will say this again, I don't know who's going to win the championship, but if you're asking me to put down on paper who I think the best team is, I like Ohio State. 
I agree. I'm really excited about. I'm gonna. We're gonna go over it in the coming months. Obviously, I'm really excited about the offensive side of the ball for Ohio State. And honestly, uh, with Sean, we, the only question mark I really have on the defensive side of the ball, who steps up to become that Chase Young type player? I'm not saying who replaces Chase Young. I don't think you just replace Chase Young. But who becomes that guy who's the feared uh, sack artist? Could be Harrison, could be Smith. Who knows? That's a question mark. Uh, but I do think like in the secondary, when you got Sean Wade back to take on that Akuda role, that's huge for Ohio State because I do think we have the talent to step up in Damon Arnett's a- absence. Uh, but I don't know. You can't. If Sean Wade had gone pro, you can't say anybody was de- that definite guy who could step up in the Akuda role or the lockdown shutdown role. And maybe a question mark at safety with Fuller gone. If if a guy like Proctor can learn to make the tackle rather than try to make the big hit, like we were talking about the other night uh, on the phone. It, it, those are different things. These are question marks that Ohio State has. I, but I'd actually argue Ohio State has less question marks than Clemson. I I know this answer because you and I talk enough. Uh, we've spoke about this, but. What is your level of concern with running back going into next year? I, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm not expecting Teague to be Dobbins. I mean, it's going to be hard because it's Dobbins put up such an amazing year and was so amazing all year. I think people are going to unfairly judge Master Teague next year when he's the likely starter, and he's not J.K. Dobbins, at least not right now. It's not to say he can't get better because he can, uh, and he can get improve on certain things. But I do. I would like to see what Kevin Wilson, who's a a run game master, just a genius at designing the run game. What he, what little wrinkles he adds and what little uh, things he changes to make it more designed to help master Teague's skill set uh, as opposed to, you know, just plugging, uh, play and plug or plug and play with a new guy such as a, a Teague taking over J.K. Dobbins. Because, you know, he's more of a north-south runner. He can do a cut, I mean, and something like that, but he's not a jump cutter. He's not a guy who is, is really great on the stretch runs. But, man, if he hits the interior gaps, he can't take off and, and kill you on those. So it'll be interesting to see where they focus that. I I'm I don't want to say I'm concerned, but I definitely don't expect it to be on the level of Dobbins from this past year. But I do have faith in Ryan Day and, and Kevin Wilson to design a game that will – fit the skill set of the guys we have and actually be extremely uh, extremely potent. It not Again, just not on J.K.'s level. And I say that because Davis and Myers coming back and possibly plugging in like a Harry Miller in the middle where Jonah Jackson's uh, vacating, that you have, a, you have the potential for an interior run game that's going to be elite. Well, I, I still say if you go back, especially early in the year, you look at Rudy Johnson as a run, or I'm sorry, you look at Master Teague's running style, you, you see Rudy Johnson, former Auburn running back and, and Bengals running back. And I, I think he, t- obviously he tailed off a little bit at the end of the year. I think some of that can be attributed to the competition they played. When you consider the last four games of the year that they played were all against top 10 opponents in the AP. So I think some of that was competition. I also think he had a little bit of a bum wheel and, and that contributed to his explosiveness a little bit. So I, I think Teague will be fine next year. I think he's going to be running behind a really good line. I think he's got that Rudy Johnson style of north-south, and I think it's going to be very successful. I also think you know this. You're right there with me. I'm huge on Marcus Crowley. I think if he is healthy next year, he's going to have a monster season being the second tailback. Maybe he even wins the job. I'm not expecting that, but I think he's going to be a huge impact guy. So I think with those two, yeah, I think the Ohio State run game is going to be tremendous next year. and We know they're going to be able to pass, so that helps a little bit as well. Yeah, it'll definitely help if Fields is healthy, that's for sure. Because uh, that was, honestly, it was amazing to me that you know Fields wasn't necessarily a threat to run with his bum knee, and yet J.K. was still putting up extremely monster numbers in every single big game we played. Yeah, no kidding. Um, 
so the receiving core, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this or if you see this differently. Next year on paper is the most talented receiving core. Well, it's the most talented receiving core I've seen in my lifetime at Ohio State. Is, is that in, in dispute, the, the amount of talent and depth that we're going to see at receiver next year? The amount of talent, I would agree with you. The depth wise, it's 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 unbelievable. But I worry about size a little bit with the experience. But that because you don't really have that big guy to go to. But that being said, uh, it you know it, it it may not seem it may not matter as much because you know we've seen Wilson he could jump out of the sky. Uh, you've seen Halave uh, can create inc- incredible separation. Uh, J- Jamison Williams is, is figures to be a guy who can blow the top off of a defense with his speed. Um, he's the guy you can't you can't ignore. Uh, you know, and of course, all, obviously, we've talked to the freshmen to death, and we expect guys like G. Scott, uh, Jackson Smith, uh, Najigba, and uh, and Julian Fleming, of course, to be able to contribute at least in some capacity. Uh, and it's interesting Ryan Day's comments about not pigeonholing anybody. So you're going to have guys that you know maybe they're not necessarily a slot type of receiver, but they're going to put them in the slot. So imagine a guy like Julian Fleming coming on and being able to play in the slot. Because uh, we got our outside receivers fixed, just just to create mi- uh, mismatches and, and and create matchup problems. Well, and you mentioned separation. Let's not forget about Jamison Williams, the Rolls Royce of that receiving core next year. That guy could. Be, I don't know if it's going to happen next year, but within the next two years, that guy is going to be electric. Oh yeah, I, I you know what? I hope we bring the jet sweep back just for him. To be honest. Yeah, he he's got that uh, he's got that Ted Ginn running style because of the big strides and just covers so much ground. And I remember that I think back to that that play early in the year was it against um, uh, was it against Miami of Ohio? I, I can't remember who it was, but that seventy six yard touchdown yeah, where yeah, he just Gunner Hope throwing to Jamison Williams on right a little, little hook route yeah right that that was just disgusting to see how quickly he accelerated. He went from zero to sixty as as well as any sports car I've ever seen. Yeah, and he just turned around and then hit hit top speed. He didn't even he didn't even get a running start. He just turned around. He had to, he had to catch it uh, with his face to the quarterback and then make a turn. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be exciting. They they are not short on receivers. Julian Fleming, the number one receiver in the country, coming in next year, he's going to make an impact right away. It's it should be a lot of fun. I, the offense is going to be very good. The I guess we're we're just sitting here wondering: is it going to be very good or is it going to be? really really good and that's going to be up to those running backs if they're as good as we think they can be then I think it takes the offense to another level but certainly that is going to be a big difference Sean Wade's return on the defensive side of the ball obviously changes the complexion of the defense so we got plenty to talk about plenty of time to talk about it uh lots lots more to talk about Ohio State here in the coming days weeks and months as we lead up to spring and then of course the 2020 season later this fall we'll be back with more with Corey Thompson as we try to make sense of what's happening with this basketball team coming up next. If you've been a listener of this show, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach out to sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Buckeyes is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Buckeye fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Buckeye fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Buckeyes podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 
or visit lockonpodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, it's real talk time, college basketball, specifically the Buckeye basketball team. Boy, I don't even know what you can say about this team. It, it, the wheels have come off, at least temporarily. I still think that there are signs that they'll get things going, but there are concerns right now, Corey. First and foremost, I guess the one thing that stands out for me right now is the shooting slump, I think, is a big cause. It's a big culprit for what's going on. I think that'll be fine. I really do. They'll get past that. They'll be shooting by the end of the year. I'm, I'm not concerned by the shooting. And I think some of the turnovers and the sloppy offense are byproducts of the shooting because I think it can mess with your head. It can mess with the chemistry. It can mess with your consistency and confidence. But where I do have a problem with this team, especially on Saturday, and this was the first time I saw it where I, I thought, okay, this is a problem. I did not see the level of intensity. They were being, uh, they were being beat to every loose ball. The 50-50 balls were going Penn State's way. It was affecting their defense. They were not defending like I've seen them in the past. Now, there were some possessions where they did defend, especially late in the first half. I thought they defended better in a stretch, and then they got some bad luck with some late shot clock uh, hits by Penn State that were just good defense and just you can't do anything about. But I really did not like their attitude, their effort. It, it just did not seem to me they had as much energy. And if I didn't believe that already, the way Chris Holtman reacted in a couple timeouts shows me that Chris Holtman felt the same way. It's Corey, that's the part to me that stood out is like you can understand losing to a good Penn State team that you beat really bad the first time on the road. That kind of stuff happens, but you want to be competitive and have energy and, and they didn't show any of that. Yeah, I as a fan, you know, I try very hard not to be too critical of college kids. And it's, it's just, I get it. You're not being paid to do this, whatever. And I, I get your schedule's tough. You work really hard. I can, I can respect all that. And, and as college basketball, I don't expect to win every game, obviously. I can even, ex, you know, respect the fact that sometimes you just go into a slump. Sometimes you lose a couple games in a row. It's not really your fault. It just, things aren't bouncing your way. But what I cannot tolerate as a fan or anything else, I can't tolerate a lack of effort. I just can't. It, it's just, you know, I'm not even going to watch you. If you don't have the effort, I will always support you and watch you. If you give a hundred percent, you're doing your absolute best. I can respect that. I, I can handle losing. It doesn't, you know, if, if you have, if you give that kind of effort, I know the losses mean a heck of a lot more to you than they do me. And they should mean a heck of a lot more to you than they do me. And I just don't feel like that with the team right now. And like Holtman screaming at the, I have never seen Holtman react that way ever. Kyle, can you remember a time where Holtman has reacted like that with this team? No, I don't. Like he's been at Ohio State for three years, and that was probably as animated I've seen at his team since he's been at Ohio State. It's it just, and the thing is, it's like when you look big picture, guys like Kyle Young, Luther Muhammad, uh, CJ Walker, DJ Carton, you could go down the list of the roster, and effort has never been a problem with these guys. And that's why it's shocking to see it right now. And I, I, maybe it is the confidence, maybe it's in their heads. But for whatever reason, I don't think they're giving max effort. And and 
we shouldn't be seeing that because they do have a lot of high motor, high energy guys that don't take plays off. And I think it's affecting other parts of their game. Like for instance, uh, Caleb Wesson, who early in the year, his improvement was absolutely notable, not only with his physique, but the way he was playing his skill set. He was playing a very well-rounded game. Right now, he is starting to make a lot of mistakes we haven't seen from him. The other day, I thought against Penn State, he played one of his worst games I've seen in his Ohio State career. Not necessarily just from a pure production standpoint, but his passing, his decision-making, he was putting the ball down on the floor in traffic in three guys at the elbow. He tried a lob pass from like 30 feet out from the basket to doing a high-low. It was a lazy pass. Like we're seeing little things like this add up right now. Maybe it's just decision-making because I don't think it's their basketball IQ. These guys are smarter, should be playing harder than they are, Corey. Yeah, that's my issue too is they don't just make mistakes. They make really dumb, unforced mistakes. Just, just dumb. Like you said, they they got high basketball IQ. I'm not claiming they're stupid, but right now they're playing dumb, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I, and, that's, and that's what makes it even more frustrating. It's just... You're better than this. I know you're better than this. And it's like if you ever have a job or you ever own a business and you hire people and you see people just, you know, kind of, you know, not really giving their all, kind of just half-heartedly giving an effort, and you're not really angry at the fact. I mean, you're angry at the fact that they don't give the effort for, for sure, but you're more angry at the fact that you know they're better than that. You have that. You see that potential in them. We all saw the potential in this team. And I'm not saying they still can't fulfill it because there's still some, a lot of season to go. But right now, this little five, six, seven game stretch is extremely frustrating, not even for the losses. The losses, I just don't even care about that much. It's just seeing it getting, you're not even competitive. You're getting beat by double digits frequently, frequently. And yes, these are good teams. This is good competition, as you've uh, pointed out, Kyle, on your show frequently. But I honestly, I'm just tired of watching a team just not even care. It just looks like don't even care and make dumb mistakes on the court constantly. Things that you should have learned from grade school are not okay to do. I think that the, uh, certainly against Penn State, the the effort was the first, I think the effort was the first time, the effort against Penn State, that was the first time that we saw a, I don't give a bleep attitude. That was the first time I've seen that. I think previously, I thought the mistakes were trying too hard. You know, players are trying to be unselfish. So that's why they're making these extra passes. They're just not good passes. It's not that they're being selfish. They're trying too hard to make plays. And I think that has contributed to the turnovers, uh, you know, driving without knowing what you're going to do with the ball, the shot selection. I don't think these are selfish mistakes. I don't think these are I don't care mistakes. They're trying too hard in some situations. But Penn State was alarming because that was the other direction. That was the first game where I thought it's just like, shrug your shoulders, oh, well, I didn't make that shot, or shrug your shoulders, oh, well, I didn't get the rebound. That is when things really start compounding. And when you're in a Big Ten where you're going to see 10 to 12 teams in the NCAA tournament, you cannot afford to do that on a daily basis. Because I tell you what, this schedule, with every team in the league being able to come up and get you, you better give effort every single night because you're going to be in for a lot of losses if not. Yeah, agreed. Uh, okay, I'll give you that. You know, it wasn't always, uh, you know, that not mistakes as a result of not caring. I guess I'm just a little, still a little frustrated from the Penn State game, so I'm, I'm overthinking it a little bit. But um, 
they still, in some situations, like you said, press and make too many mistakes that really shouldn't they shouldn't make. And that is one thing we're seeing creep up again uh, from last season. I thought last season was frustrating in a sense that I would see somebody uh, uh, penetrate the paint. Uh, a big would, would confront them in the paint and they would stop on a pivot foot and then turn around and look around for a pass. You know, they re- like you said, they didn't have a plan when they got there. Um, they're, dri- they're driving without a purpose. And we're seeing that. And it really wasn't the case early on in the season. Now we're seeing it again. It's like they just don't know what to do after they get to the paint and somebody confronts them. And they're not great finishers. I, this is also frustrating. They were terrible on missed dunks and missed layups in the last game. I don't understand what is so hard to finish. I don't understand why entry passes are hard. I don't understand the lackadaisical attitude on defense at times. I don't get it. I don't know what's mentally wrong with the team right now. But, you know, I don't know if that could, is that something that falls on Holtman to fix or what? But somebody's got to come up with a solution that actually allows this team to mentally grow again and get confident again. I don't think it's just waited out. And hope to God they start shooting well again, Kyle. I mean, there's got to be some other solution in there. Yeah, well, you mentioned the finishing. That has definitely been a problem. Third, third time in four games where they they were abysmal finishing at the rim. West Virginia, Indiana, and, and now most recently Penn State. Now, these are all good teams as far as sh- you know, blocking shots and defending the rim. But Ohio State is not playing. When they're getting to the rim, they're not trying to finish physically. They're, they're coming up with these teardrops and left-handed layups, and they have no strength on these, and, and it, they're getting swatted away with ease. They have got to go to the hole with authority, and they're not doing that right now. So that is definitely a big problem for them, and that's one of the reasons why their field goal percentage is so low. Their, their two-point percentage in the last six games is under 40%, and that's because they're not finishing at the rim. So that that is something they really have to get corrected. It, they're a small team. Uh, they're not going to finish all the time against bigger teams. That's part of it, but but they can do a lot better than they are. Yeah, and again, it's also uh, what is going on with guarding the perimeter? I mean, why is every team shooting like 15% above their season average on the three-point line against us? I understand there's a little bit of luck involved in that, but at the same time, when it's when it's becoming a consistent problem, there's got to be a defensive answer to this. Well, there, there are two reasons in my estimation. I think the first is luck. Uh, Three-point luck definitely exists on defense. Most teams, like 90% in a given year, most teams' three-point defense falls somewhere between 30% to 36%. Okay, so if you're below or above that, you're probably – uh, kind of the victim of luck. So that's that's number one. Now, number two is where they're getting open looks is they haven't been defending the penetra- dribble penetration as well recently, and so it's causing more secondary defensive help to step up and, and step into the lane. And don't get me wrong, the secondary help has been very good for Ohio State stopping penetration, but because they're not guarding the penetration as well right now originally, it's allowing more kickouts and also offensive rebounds that go for kickouts. And that's where teams are getting more open three-pointers, either late in the shot clock or off of offensive rebounds. So I think it's those two things as to why teams have been shooting so well against Ohio State recently. If they stop the dribble penetration, I think the other aspect, the the bad luck, that'll just naturally subside. But if they stop the dribble penetration, not rely as much on secondary help, then that would help the shooting percentage a little as well. I just wonder if it's not a better situation just to go to zone at this point. 
Well, they tried that a few times against Penn State and then got subsequently burnt. So I, I think that. Well, never they, mind then. I guess, uh, you know. Just, I, yeah, I think. I don't at know this, what the answer is. I think at this point that they need to sink or swim primarily with, with man to man defense. It's still, look, defensively, if you look at the stats, I mean, they're still a top 10 defense and defensive efficiency. So what they're doing is largely still working. They just really have to pick it up on the offensive side of the ball. Look. I want to say this, too. I know there are people saying NIT this, NIT that. Look, they are in great shape still. Right now, if you look at all the bracket projections from the weekend, NBC, ESPN with Lunardi, CBS with Jerry Palm, uh, Andy Katz with NCAA, they're still a five or six seed in most bracket projections this weekend. So they are in great shape. They've got a great strength of schedule. All of these losses are considered quality losses by the NCAA standards. They have some good wins still. Villanova, Penn State, there, there is a lot to like about Ohio State's resume. They are fine as far as the tournament is concerned, but because of that schedule being so brutal, they do have to start kicking things up a gear, especially right now in this current stretch. This is the most winnable stretch of their schedule the rest of the year. They need wins right now, get some confidence, and stop the bleeding. Yeah, I agree. It just, you know, I just want to see the effort back first and foremost. I mean, that starts, that's the foundation of everything. That's where it starts. And I know it's just really one game you could suggest the effort wasn't quite there, but you just don't want to, you more than anything, you don't want that to become a pattern. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I, I, I think that the effort is the number one, number one priority right now, the number one concern. They've got to get back to playing Ohio State basketball, the spirited, um, overachieving kind of effort that we saw early in the year, that's got to return. I don't know where it went and why it isn't here, but they get to doing that. They're fine. I still, look, I have no illusions. What they did was not a fluke. You can't do what they did for the first month and a half of the season and be a total fluke. Somewhere, somehow, they can get back to playing that kind of basketball. I don't know that it's going to happen, but they're capable of it. But they have to reach deep and get back to believing in themselves and playing with authority, playing with confidence and effort. If they do that, they'll be fine. If they don't, <laughs> the schedule in the Big Ten, you know, they could be wiped wiped off the the face of the earth uh, with the rest of the schedule. Yeah, I think that's uh, with the with a year where the Big Ten is this good. I think that's the big concern is just going to keep steamrolling downhill. Well, it's uh, as I said, we're in a very vicarious or, or a very vulnerable portion of the Ohio State schedule, but they've got to start winning right now because this is probably the easiest it's going to be the rest of the year. It gets really difficult really quick. Well, of course, follow Ohio State basketball the rest of the year as we get towards March. And, uh, you know, it's I've never seen a Big Ten this deep. It's so we may see 10 to 12 teams from the league get in, but what what's going on right now in this league is crazy. So uh, Corey Thompson you can find him as co-host of the Scarlet and Great podcast that is on the Unscripted Ohio Network. That is my baby. Uh, I am very, very proud to have Corey and Johnny Johnny Bullet over there as co-hosts. Corey, I appreciate you taking the time to talk some Ohio State with us. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. This has been the Locked On Buckeyes podcast, your daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. Find us on the platform of your choice. Make sure you spread the good cheer, the good word with friends, family, or whoever listens to the Buckeyes. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc., etc. Find me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Find the show at 
Locked on Buckeye. Hope you have a great day. We'll be back on Tuesday. Thanks for listening.